Thank you. Thank you. Um, we're going to do, this is number 14, and again, I pass out the notes ahead of time. I want to go through this tonight. Um, some of this stuff we haven't ever talked about before, so when I'm ready, anxious to jump into it. Um, we're teaching about how to be a happy intercessor, and we're talking about the, how intercession and worship go hand in hand, and how the prophetic goes hand in hand with intercession and worship. Um, and our scripture verse right there, if you want to read it, Amos 3, 7, why don't you read it with me? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plans to his servants, the prophets. I love that. I'm like, dude, he's sovereign. So he announces that he's sovereign there. Like, he could do anything he wants to. Like, I mean, he's the boss of bosses, right? And yet, he decides that he's not going to do anything without revealing it to his servants, the prophets. Pretty cool that a sovereign God would do that. And we get to jump in on it for free. So, thank you, Jesus, for that. I want to pray as we jump into this. Lord, I thank you for everyone here. I thank you for this class. I thank you for what we're all learning I thank you for the adventure that we're on into prayer and intercession and what it means to be a person of prayer, what it means to be a person of intercession. God, I just ask that you continue to shape us, mold us, teach us what we need to know, and help us to put into practice everything you've told us. We don't want to leave one thing out that you've told us. We want to add it all into our daily lifestyles, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> it's going to distract me looking at that cuteness all night. Little baby right there. Hey. <laughs> So, real quick, what is the difference between prayer and intercession? We have talked about this a little bit before, but I want to jump just back into it for tonight to set a foundation. Prayer is our personal relationship with the Lord. It's me and God talking. It's between us. That's prayer. Um, based on that relationship, intercession is when we go to the Father on behalf of someone else, a city, a nation, a family member, and this is for other people. And the way we talk about it here is God is, the Holy Spirit comes into our life at salvation. So Holy Spirit lives in us when we get saved. But then there's another baptism. There's more to it. There's that baptism in the fire. Salvation is the water. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is the fire. So Jesus came and says that, that John said, hey, I baptize you with water for repentance. But there's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And he's not just going to baptize you with water for repentance, for salvation. He's going to baptize you with the fire of the Holy Spirit. So there's two distinct um, encounters and baptisms. One's through water where I become a completely new creation. And the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit come live inside of me. And they begin to help me and help me make decisions and, and convict me into a godly lifestyle. But then there's that second one where I become empowered. So he's in me for me. But then when Holy Spirit and fire comes upon me, he's on me for other people. So I have something to give away. And yeah, something I, have to, I have something to give away to other people. So he's in us for us, but he's on us for other people. So that's the distinction between prayer and intercession. If I only pray about me and what's going on with me, I'm missing the other part of the equation that's so important. And that's praying for other people. There's just something about praying for other people that, um, number one, it's just right. It feels good. It helps, it helps sometimes you're praying for other people and you're like, man, I, things are going pretty good for me right now. It's encouraging. You know, it's kind of weird, but it kind of does that sometimes. But that, that praying for other people is godly. It's a godly characteristic. Um, so what is prophetic intercession? It is, the dis it is discerning the wisdom of God about a person or about a situation and praying in agreement with the direction that the Lord has revealed. So it's like, God just gave me a download or a, 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 
a feeling about a situation or something somebody's going through, and now I'm going to partner with him and pray into that specific feeling that he gave me so that we can shift their atmosphere, so we can change the scene. Um, there was a, a fun, I, I wanted to somehow record it and show it, and I will at some point. I'll record it as a, one of the old Looney Tunes episodes. And um, it's one of the funny ones where, you know, Daffy Duck shows up and he's dressed in a night, he's, he's like one of the musketeers and he's fighting in the, because the, the scenery is like an old castle with a drawbridge and a moat, and so he's wanting to fight. And then the artist whites out the page, and he's still wearing what he's wearing and draws a completely different picture that doesn't make sense to what he's saying. So instead of now fighting with the sword and stuff, he turns into a farmer or something, and he's working on the farm because the scene changes. And I was like, that is exactly what I'm talking about with intercession. It's changing the scene. The scene dictates how the people in the play act. I mean, it just does. And there's great... um, freedom knowing that I don't have to change the actors in the play. All I have to do is shift the background. I, I, I hope we, I want us to get this and get this and get this as a church. I'm not responsible in changing people. I'm responsible for bringing heaven's atmosphere into wherever they're encountering. If it's sickness, I want to bring the atmosphere of he's the healer. If there's chaos, I want to bring the atmosphere that he's the prince of peace. That background scene change will automatically change how they act. Because if the Prince of Peace comes in the room and they're still fighting and quarreling, all of a sudden they will come to their senses and be like, this doesn't make sense with what I'm feeling in the atmosphere anymore. I can't be angry and frustrated because I felt peace come in the room and it, now it shifts the behavior because of the scene change. Like, dude, think of, just get that, just that one thing right there. If we can get that one thing in this class, I will be so happy because we don't have the pressure of changing people. We have the, the pressure of just bringing the atmosphere of heaven wherever we go. That will change people. Oh, that's, it's his work. Pretty cool. We're just stagehands. We just change the scene and stuff. <clears throat> so prophetic intercession is just reaching off stage and partnering with God to see that thing change and shift in their life. It's having divine perspective and it's partnering with God for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Most people become victims of whatever happens in their life, right? I mean, just being honest. Something bad happens to us, and we react to it. The easiest thing that I always throw out there, we get a, a bill we weren't expecting or a letter in the mail we weren't expecting, and immediately we start figuring out, how are we going to fix this? We, we, we respond to that thing instead of responding to heaven. And, and, and what we have to do as people of intercession is we have to be able to teach people and touch heaven for people that don't know yet how to shift the background for themselves, and we help them and teach them how to do it. And it's this partnership that we do um, with, with people. So why prophetic intercession? Why do we need to be prophetic when we pray? <laughs> number, number one there, as a church, I, I'm not sure if you guys all know this or are aware of this, but we have, the way we've built our leadership structure, it's based on four foundations. And Lord, I should have brought this out here because I'm going to forget something, but it's kingdom, it's prophetic, it's uh, a culture of honor, and it's a culture of prayer. Those four things will be found in everything we do here at the church. If it doesn't feed into the kingdom, into, into uh, the prophetic, if it doesn't feed into all the things that I did, the prayer culture or a culture of honor, then, then we're missing our foundations as a church. We want the prophetic to bleed over into everything we do. I love the songs that, that Kyle and them do because they're not just declarative about God's greatness and how awesome he is. They're prophetic. 
I love the, the things that we're hearing and the prayers that are coming forward. And, and some of the teenagers have written things, even recently, on Facebook that were just justice, prophetic justice statements. And I was like, wow, how awesome is it for our teens to be writing this stuff? And I, I get excited because our culture is prophetic. We want it to come across in everything we do. Um, the reason that we want to be prophetic is because it makes our time more effective. Because it does not deal with just generalized topics. How many of you guys know that we can pray, oh God, bring healing into our church? And that's a wonderful prayer, right? How many of you ever prayed that before? God, we just need healing in our church. There are people that are sick, we just need healing. What happens if God gives you a prophetic word as to why there's a sickness in someone's life? Sometimes we're praying for physical healing and the root of their sickness has zero to do with physical ailment. Did you know that that's possible? Did you know that someone can be sick? physically manifest sickness and it's not even a a physical thing it's a spiritual thing or an emotional maybe there's unforgiveness and the unforgiveness has caused stress to build up through time and that bitterness causes a sickness or an ulcer or whatever it is and they're physically struggling with something that's a spiritual ailment what happens if we're praying oh god heal this person i believe god hears us and he can do it what happens if god gives us a prophetic word and says no there's unforgiveness from when they were 14 years old their uncle did this thing to them they still remember it they hold it over their head and they haven't forgiven him for it that's the root of this sickness in their life and we begin to just prophetically pray into that thing gives you a different kind of edge on your sword god give them healing is like praying with a butter knife <laughs> god giving that prophetic insight into where the root is is like taking that just that it's not even a knife it's a laser that just cuts right into whatever that specific thing is. That's why we want to be prophetic. Uh, we want to be able to be, instead of just g- deal with generalizations, like anybody can go up to someone and give them a general word, like, hey, God loves you, he thinks you're awesome. And we should do that. But man, we want the prophetic because we want to pinpoint specific things that only God could know and reveal that you know, God cares about you. So that's why we want to be prophetic in our prayer. It makes it effective. Um, I would much rather pray one really pinpointed prayer that's really effective than to pray a bunch of prayers that don't really do anything. I I can say, oh, I prayed for a whole hour today. Did anything happen? Nope, but I prayed for a whole hour. How awesome am I? I think that praying for an hour is going to have its value, period. But man, I would much rather have that one moment that God gives me a prophetic prayer, and I prayed for 30 seconds. And something shifted. And my 30 seconds was way more valuable than that whole hour I spent. When Elijah called fire from heaven, remember Matt talked about it a couple of weeks ago, and, and he tells him to pour water on the altar and do all this stuff. Do you remember his prayer? I mean, he prayed this really easy, short prayer. They spent all day praying to their gods and cutting themselves and offering sacrifices and doing their rituals for, for like a whole day. They were trying to get their God's attention. And he steps up and just basically says, Oh God, I know who you are. You're the God of heavens and the earth. Show them today that you're God. Basically, that's it. Vindicate me as a prophet, kind of. Bam, fire comes from heaven. Just a simple prayer. Simple prayer. And so sometimes we think that, oh, the longer we pray, the better. But if we pray prophetically, it makes our time more effective. We only have 24 hours in a day. I want to spend my time praying not generalized prayers. You cold, Matilda? Sorry. <laughs> I don't want to pray these uh, generalized prayers. I want to pray specific prayers. I want to know exactly what to do, and that's why we want to be prophetic. 
<clears throat> biblical examples. I'm not going to take time and read all of these, um, but they're there if you want to read them later. I will summarize some of them. In Acts chapter 10, verse 30, God shows Cornelius Peter's face in his dream and says, you need to go see this man. He's at Simon's house. He's on this street. And when you get there, he's going to tell you this. It was a prophetic prayer. It wasn't just in his time with the Lord, God, God downloaded prophetic information into him about something that has not happened yet. And ha- about, it's interesting that in this story, God was dealing with Peter along the exact same lines as, as where Cornelius and the believers at Cornelius' house were. Peter's having this dream of a sheet coming down from heaven with all kinds of animals on it. And he was a good Jewish person. He wasn't supposed to eat certain things on there. And he says, God, I'm not going to eat that stuff. Because when the sheet came down, God told him, get up and eat what's, what's on here. And he's like, I will not eat that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Jewish person. I'm not, I'm not supposed to eat that stuff. He goes, that's unclean. And God says, don't call unclean what I say is clean. It happened to him a couple of times. So God's doing this over here for Peter in his time with the Lord. And then over here with Cornelius, he's saying, hey, this guy's going to come to your house. So when all this stuff works out and God's, God tells Cornelius, Peter, you're going to go to Cornelius' house. Excuse me, I had it all backwards. You're going to go to his house and he's going to do this, this, and this. So when Peter shows up and says, hey, I'm supposed to see you. I'm supposed to tell you, he's like, yeah, come on in. And he begins to preach to them the gospel. He begins to tell them, hey, you don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to be a Gentile. It doesn't matter. The gospel's for everyone. The kingdom is for everyone. Go and read the story. It's, it's beautiful. And it's, I butchered it up here. I'm sorry. I'm trying to remember all the details of it because it's ridiculous how unique and how defined uh, and refined each detail of the story was. And Peter went to a place where he wouldn't have gone before, but because through a prophetic time in prayer, he knew, I know why you gave me that dream about not calling things unclean that I think, blah, blah, blah. Those people aren't even Jewish people. And he goes there and tells them, the gospel's here for you. Jesus died for you too, which he wouldn't have done two days before or day before. Um, another example was David. Um, there's a story there where uh, the, Nathan the prophet comes to him and says, hey, there's this man. He was a rich man. And he had all these sheep. I mean, he had every kind of sheep he wanted. And one day, um, a, it, it was unique in the Bible how if they said if, if someone was a, a visitor who was coming through your town and they stopped, you were supposed to give them a place to stay. And you were supposed to kill a nice animal and give them a feast because they were a passerby. They were a traveler. They were someone that you would never see again. You're supposed to give them hospitality. Really cool about their culture. I was reading, I was like, wow, that would not work today. Somebody, their car breaks down in front of my house and I invite them in for steak dinner. And I don't even know the guy, you know, what's going on? But that's what they did. And so he didn't want to give up one of his sheep because he was proud and, and, and he, he was selfish. So what he does is he goes and he looks over at this poor guy who had one sheep. And it, the, the Bible says that this man loved this sheep like it was his own daughter. How crazy. This guy loved the sheep like it was his own little kid, right? Eh, get the joke there anyway. Uh, so he's the, the, the wealthy man with all the sheep is like, man, I don't want to give up one of mine. I'm just going to go take his and I'm going to give it to this passerby so I look like a nice guy and a good host and stuff. And so he goes and takes it from him, and the guy goes in the morning and, and, and this and that. And David's like, tell me who this man is. I'm the king. I can do something about it. I'm going I'm to get that guy, and he's going to have to pay back four times what he took away from this man. And what did Nathan say to him? He said, hey, uh, this was just a story I was telling you. It's not true. You're the guy I'm talking about. And David's like, oh, boom, and it hit him. He had just stolen a man's wife. 
sent a man into battle, put him on the front lines and told the people that, dude, think about what David did to this guy. He steals his wife, which already was crazy. She gets pregnant, right? He calls the husband back and says, hey, come off the front lines. You haven't seen your wife in a long time. I know you guys are going to spend some quality time together, and she's going to get pregnant, and they're going to think it's yours because this was all before you know, sonograms and DNA tests and stuff. They won't even know that it was me that got her pregnant and you. But the man was such a man of integrity. He's like, I cannot go in there and be with my wife when all my friends and my comrades are out in battle. I, I'm, I'm gonna, he slept on the front porch. David's like, my plan did not work. (laughs) He's frustrated, right? So he says, all right, he wants to be the big man. Put him on the front lines. And whenever we give this certain call for war, I want everyone that's on the front lines to withdraw. But I don't want you to tell him what the charge, the, the retreat sign is. They would play a sound on their instruments or their trumpet, and everyone would know this sound means to progress or go forward or whatever it meant, and this means retreat. Well, they, wouldn't, they didn't tell him what the sound was, so everyone else knew to retreat, and he was left out by himself, and he got killed. And so David steals a man's wife, gets her pregnant, kills her husband, right? And this story was telling, Nathan was telling this story, saying, David, this is a prophetic word for you, and this is a time of prayer for you to change. The Bible says David fell on his face, ripped his clothes, and asked God to repent, asked God to forgive him. He repented of his sins. And... Um, most, most scholars believe that's when he wrote Psalm 51. It says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of salvation. And grant the right spirit. Bring it, it, we, we don't know what the right spirit is. Like, give me a right spirit, God. What he literally meant was, God, put me back in right relationship with you. Give me back where I'm supposed to be with you. And so... David went through pain. The child ends up dying seven days later and all this kind of stuff. But look how the prophet came and brought correction to a a king who was humble. David, even though he made his mistakes, what kind of a man would it be for a prophet to step in there and say what he said? I mean, think how David responded, how awesome it was, because it was such a precise, prophetic word. It cut David to the heart. And because David was so sensitive towards God... It, he realized what he had, I know he probably already felt guilty on some level for what he had done, but this prophetic word honed into it and just really cut him and, and caused repentance. <clears throat> There's another one real quick of Peter and John. They, they go to the gate beautiful, and the guy's asking for money. I mean, he just wants money. He's crippled. That's what they do. They would, they, in their society, they would take people to the gates if they couldn't get there, and that's how they made their, their wealth. That was the social system of that time period. Put them out on the street corner. When people are on their way to work or to the temple, they're supposed to just throw some change to you and move on, and that's how they sustain themselves. So Peter and John were on their way to the temple the, de- the same time they always go. And there's old, old Hank, or whatever his name is, laying on the cot. They've seen him before. They've given him money before. And he looks, at, lo- looks up at him, and they go, look at me. And he looks at him, expecting to get money from him like every other time before. But this time, a prophetic prayer comes out. I, I, this isn't just... Uh, uh, this is a prophetic declaration that's in, in form of, look, I don't have silver and gold today. I'm sure yeah, I haven't got paid this week, whatever was going on with, with the guys. He's like, I don't have any of that, but I do have something that you need more than that. Get up and walk. And something shifted that day. And so I wanted to say that, that uh, intercession is not always words in the form of a prayer. Many times they are a prophetic act. 
This was a prophetic act. Get up and walk. Um, there, if you'll go through scripture, you'll see this all, that, that this prophetic thing happened, and it didn't manifest itself through a prayer, like, oh, God, do this, 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 and this. It manifested itself through immediate action that lined up with their prophetic word. That's what God wants us to do in our, in our prayer and intercession. Sometimes God's going to tell us to pray things. Sometimes God's going to tell us to do something. Yes, good. How do you know if you are a prophetic intercessor? Now, there, are, there are usually four distinct gifts that will come into operation with the prophetic. Number one is word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is, a, is supernatural revelation from the mind of God to our mind. He tells us something that we could not have known on our own. He gives us secret information that's, that's beyond what we could have gained in ourselves. A word of knowledge is a definitive conviction, impression, or knowing that comes to you in a mental picture, in a thought, a dream, um, through a vision, by a scripture that you're reminded of. It is supernatural insight or understanding of circumstances, situations, problems, or, or uh, facts through revelation. So God will give you information, a word of knowledge. Um, the way I see it is a, a word of knowledge could be where God tells you that there's an issue, say a company is not making money for whatever reason, you, you find yourself there, you're paying your bill at this company one day, and, and God says, this company is losing money. You're just in line going to pay your bill, maybe it's the bank. They're losing money, and this is where they're losing money. If you'll go tell them this, it'll cause them to start making money. And God gives you a word of knowledge, you go to them and say, hey, um, I know it's not even my business, but I know this is really crazy. This may not happen. It may happen. Some of us may do this in our life sometimes. Hey, are, are you losing money in your company? Yeah, as a matter of fact, we are. Well, God told me if you'll do this, you'll, you'll make money again. That's a word of knowledge. Like, there's no way you could have known. There's no way you could have known what was causing, if, if the company wasn't making money or not. So everyone understand a word of knowledge is this unique ability to fix a problem that you couldn't have known unless God told you. Then there's a word of wisdom. It's a little bit different than a word of knowledge. There are three types of wisdom. There's wisdom that comes from God. There's wisdom that comes that's from, of the world. And there's wisdom of man. And there's references to go with that. Um, <clears throat> the gift of the word of wisdom is an application of the knowledge that God gives you. Um, this type of wisdom is a gift which cannot be gained through study, experience, and should not replace them. Um, but the gift of the word of wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. Um, it's like knowing how things work. The gift of wisdom is also the revealing of prophetic future. It's like being able to know the future, being able to prophesy what's going to happen. It's speaking of hidden truths of what is not yet known. It's a supernatural perspective to unlock the, the application of, div, of divine means for accomplishing God's will. I know it's a lot of crazy, weird, crazy definition. But basically, it's God giving you futuristic. It, it'd be like you going back in time to the Old West, and you have the ability to, to make a TV. And no one has a TV yet, but you can make a TV. You have something, a powerful thing, a tool that they don't have. And that's kind of what God does. He comes from the future and gives you something that's unique to, to something that's about to take place and gives you wisdom so that it can set things in a certain specific uh, pattern and establishes things. Then there's uh, discerning of the spirits. This one's so important because the Bible says that in the last days that there will be released false prophets. There will be, be released deceptive spirits on the earth to try to deceive. The Bible says that the very elect would be deceived if it's possible. Right? So we have to be careful. Discerning of the spirits is a supernatural ability given by Holy Spirit to perceive the source of spiritual manifestation and to determine whether it's of God, of the devil, of man, or of the world. It's the spirit-empowered ability 
to discern the origin of influence. Let me, let me stop on this one for a little bit. There are times where things happen and the influence behind it is not from God. Has anyone ever had something happen to you or, or maybe something even looked good? Like God, like it seemed like a nice, cool new door opened up for your family. And you're like, man, that's got to be good. But that wasn't from God. And you went through it later and you're like, man, we never should have done that thing, right? Maybe it was this car, this great deal. I never imagined God would give me this opportunity to have this kind of car or whatever it is. And so if we dis- discern and distinguish between the spirits, we'll know, is this God initiating or is this something else initiating? Because the Bible says that the, the enemy um, masquerades as an angel of light. So he, he'll even try sometimes to show us things that look shiny and nice and they look like they're good for us. But unless we discern the spirits and where it comes from, the origin of that influence, then we could, be, we could fall into prey. We could fall into a trap. So we have to say, God, Show me, teach me how to discern what's from you and what's not from you. Um, in the church world, you've got to be able to discern spirits. You've got to be able to understand what, what motivates things to happen. What's the agenda behind things that happen, right? That's the discerning of the spirits. Then we've got the gift of prophecy. So um, prophetic um, intercessors will move in a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, in discerning of the spirits, or in prophecy. Now, I, I want to say this. God has nice things to say. He's nice, and he has nice things to say. Prophecy is really different now than it used to be. <clears throat> yep. In the Old Testament, I just did this because it's fun. This is one of my favorite, favorite topics, favorite things to talk about. In the Old Testament, God killed them for being your enemy and for their sin. Right? I mean, have you ever read a story in the Old Testament where, where someone prayed or God killed someone because they were evil and they didn't serve him, Right? The New Testament, it shouldn't be God kill them. The New Testament, God forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Look at the difference. It's still prophetic. It's still a prophet speaking. Jesus was the prophet of prophets, right? Still think. In the Old Testament, hate those who hate God or who hate you. If you're their enemy or if, if they hate you or if they hate God, hate them back. Just hate them, right? You love those that love you, but those that hate you, just hate them. How many knows what it says in the New Covenant, New Testament? It says, love your enemies. Bless those that even curse you and use you. <laughs> it's like, it's still the same. It's prophetic, but it has a different outcome attached to it, right? Old Testament. Call up on the earth to swallow up these evil people. Or call fire down from heaven to kill them. Or call a bear to come out and maul these kids who are making fun of my bald head. Right? Old Testament. New Testament. The disciples come to Jesus, and they're trying to operate in an Old Testament spirit, an Old Testament prophet spirit. Jesus, can we call fire down from heaven and kill these people who don't like you? And Jesus tells them, no. This is Jared Patterson translation. No. And by the way, you don't even know what spirit is influencing you right now. Look at the difference. So prophecy is not God sick them, God hurt them. It's God forgive them. You know, even today, in my, in my time with the Lord in my prayer, um, I had to go back and there were some, there's been some things that have happened through my life and, and um, in the last few years. And I was like, Lord, I'm really upset this, 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 that this thing happened. I'm, st- I'm still, like, I don't think, I'm telling this is my, con- I don't think I'm offended, God, but it makes me a little mad when I talk about it. <laughs> is anyone, Hello? <laughs> God's like, I, th- I think that's kind of the definition of offense. 
if you, if, if you get a little mad and you can't really talk about it without getting you a little riled up a little bit, then there may be something still there. So I was like, all right, Lord, I pray that good things happen to that person. I just want good stuff to happen to them. I don't want them to get what I think they deserve. I had to really repent, and it took a little bit for me to, I was like, Lord, I really mean this. I really want good things to happen to them. I don't want them to get what they deserve. I want you to bring them into right relationship, you know, all the things I've prayed. But I don't want evil things to happen to them. That's prof- prophetic prayer. That's forgiveness. That's praying into who God says that they're supposed to be instead of what I think they deserve. See, God has reserved warfare for the enemy. Who's the enemy? I mean, you know, it's like a kindergarten question, right? Like, I'm not answering it because either it's a trick question or it's too easy. But the enemy is purely Satan. That's the only enemy God has. God's n- man is not God's enemy any longer. Like, that's really hard for church people to get. Um, even, even today, I was, there's some stuff on Facebook, and, and I, I've been reading it for the last few days, and it just really has been bothering me. And, um, and I'm like, man is not God's enemy. Even people that say they believe in Jesus and are doing something different, they're not even God's enemy right now. The enemy, Satan, is God's enemy. That's why he's called the enemy. It's not one of the enemies. It's not public enemy number one. It's the enemy. Your enemy, the devil. The only one, the only enemy is Satan. It's not us. It's not man. It's not people who say one thing and do another. It's not wicked people on the earth. They're not the enemy. Satan is an enemy. So prophetic prayer is being able to move beyond my, my personal agendas, my personal vendettas against people, and say, God, I want what you want for that person. And that gives us the ability to pray things that we wouldn't have prayed before. And that's prophetic. Being able to pray forgiveness over someone is prophetic because it speaks to who they're supposed to be, not who they are right now. It doesn't lock them into regrets that they've made. It doesn't lock them into mistakes that they made. It does not serve punishment on them and captivate them for eternity for what they did wrong. Think about that. Our unforgiveness not only captivates that other person, but it captivates us. And the Lord wants us to begin to release um, forgiveness through prophetic. Um, the gift of prophecy ha- does three things. It edifies, it exhorts, and it comforts. The word edifies means to build up. It's like, dude, I'm just going to build you up and talk, talk you up. You're, you're good. Jose, you're a stud. You're awesome. You're a man of God. You, there's an evangelism fire in your belly that I see I've, from the first time I met him. There's that thing in Jose, man. He can talk to people about the Lord. and He has a testimony that can catch people that I could never talk to, right? So just building up. Michelle, I see that, that thing, that prophetic gift that rises up inside of you. That's, now it's going to be permanent. It's not going to be seasonal. And just building up people, just, that's prophetic, just building up people. Lester, I love how you can just talk to anybody. You come in, you don't know a stranger. That's so odd, that's godly. It is, I can't, I'm not like that. I, I, it takes me um, a few minutes to warm up in conversation. I'm sure you, anyone that's been around me, you notice that. Uh, um, yesterday, we were uh, having a meeting with Vanessa, and th- it took me 10 minutes to warm up into the conversation. It's just how I am. If I walk into a room... It's going to take me five or ten minutes to fill the room out, and then I'll slowly work my way into conversation, and then I'll, I'll be Jared. But that's the way, I'm, you're not like that. I love it. I need to rub shoulders with Lester. He walks in, he's just, hey, I'm Lester. How you guys doing? Oh, how's your week? You know, and that's awesome. 
So that's what prophetic, just building up, calling out stuff in people, just calling them into the greatness. Prophetic is exhorting. It's calling people near. Come on, let's go deeper in God. Come on, let's go closer to God. Let's pursue him like never before. And the prophetic also comforts people. It cheers them up and encourages them. Hey, don't worry about this thing that's going on right now. God's got your back. He's going to take you through this. You're not going to be stuck here. It's going to, something's going to shift, transform. So that's what prophetic does. So we want to be prophetic intercessors. So just to close out, just I want to hear from you guys a little bit. Why, why do we need to be prophetic intercessors? Why, why do you think this is so important? I know some of what we talked about, but any thoughts? Any thoughts?